Money has always been a taboo topic of conversation. When I was growing up, my parents didn't talk about money in front of me very often, or if they did, it was just like a stressful type of conversation oh, that they were having. Absolutely, right? yes. Was, I'm going to go in the other room. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. <laughs> right. That's Brian Fye. He's senior director, digital banking at FIS. I didn't see them budgeting and planning and doing right. those types of things. They they may or may not have done that, right? But that wasn't a behavior that I was able to model because I wasn't seeing it. The learning curve for managing your finances has certainly flattened with the rise of mobile banking apps and digital services. But the stress associated with money isn't going anywhere. In this season five finale of Financial Futures, we're looking at ways banks can step up and help reduce that anxiety by starting those hard conversations and implementing financial wellness programs. Banks become a natural place to do that because, again, the, the conversation there already is around money, and then they have access to, to the information to help provide the suggestions. They can create a deeper relationship with that customer. This is Financial Futures, a podcast that charts the frontiers of fintech innovation. I'm your host, Erin Dangler. In this season, we've been exploring banks' digital transformation. Digitization is no longer optional for financial institutions. It's necessary. So what is a financial wellness program? In this episode, FIS's Brian Fye joins us to explore what this trend means in a digital era and how education might be the key to building better, stronger communities. Let's just start from the ground floor. So what is financial wellness? I mean, is it exactly what it sounds like that we are financially well? I mean, I think, um, you know, the word wellness or, you know, financial health is how this is referenced a lot. I think that really is is a great way to think about it because it draws the comparisons to other types of wellness and health. And that's really, to me, the biggest piece that financial wellness is trying to achieve is making you, you know, um, you, you don't want to be physically sick, right? Similarly, you don't want to be financially sick because it isn't a compartmentalized thing, right? Your, your financial health has impacts on all parts of your life, just like your physical health, just like your mental health does. So I think it's really recognizing that that as, as humans living in a modern time, that's um, not not as important as physical health, but it, but it's right after it. And one of the key reasons is that financial health can impact physical health, right? So, you know, I, I think it's, it's another pillar of health that we as humans, you know, really need to think about and manage just like we do those others. Right. I think I, I read a quote that said money is stressful and stress makes us sick, duh, or something. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and as my father always told me, money is stressful whether you have it or not. It is a, a fact of life. And so is financial wellness, is that subjective from person to person or are there some basic components of it, like the ability to pay your debts or have an emergency fund or, or have a retirement? You know, are there basic things that would fit everybody's need for financial wellness? There probably isn't a basic need that fits every single different type of, of consumer or person, right? But I think if you listed out probably, you know, 20 or so things and you had, you know, people check them, I, every person's going to check some unless you're just so exorbitantly wealthy that money doesn't even, you know, factor into your life, right? Which is uh, Wouldn't that be nice? that very, very narrow segment that we all kind of um, dream about. But I think there, there's individuals that are trying to, you know, not just even live paycheck to paycheck, right? But they're trying to not dig the hole deeper, 
you know, and have a debt situation, right? And have expenses that are exceeding income, right? So for them, you know, there's a goal and a, a, a need to aspire really to get to check to check, right? To get to where, you know, you're at least staying nice and level. Then then you have consumers that are living check to check, right? And, and that's a better stage. That's the next one. But they're not prepared for, you know, potentially a large expense or, you know, aspirationally, it's challenging for them to do special things, right? That might require a larger, you know, one-time type of um, amount. And, and you know, you can kind of continue to take that forward, you know, as you think of people in progressive states of, of financial health, all the way to how do I have the retirement that I want, right? How do I give what I'd like to my heirs as, as I might, you know, leave the planet? So, you know, but I think across that whole spectrum, that's all about financial health. That's all about financial wellness. But you have different needs. You have different problems you're solving and hence different tools you're going to need to help solve them. Right. That makes total sense. And who is this for? Is this just for individuals or can you think of it as as groups or communities or businesses or even banks? I think it starts with the individual. Right. You know, it's if at the individual level, if people aren't progressing on, you know, together, right, then you're, then you're in trouble. Right. <laughs> right. But then I think as you can start to have that, then the community starts to benefit. If you have people that are more, you know, financially aware, financially understanding their situation, but maybe most importantly, that are advancing kind of upwards in that ladder, so to speak, and downwards in that stress and anxiety, hopefully to come along with that. You know, I think that's where you start to get a, a community benefit for sure from it. And and for banks, obviously. Obviously, if they can help their customers effectively climb that same ladder, that's going to help them both have customers that are going to have more assets that they can help them manage, that are going to have needs that they can perhaps help support with mortgages and, and auto loans and things like that as you start to progress. But also, if a bank can help the customer do that, they can create a deeper relationship with that customer, right? And, and no longer be have a transactional type of relationship and really get to where you have trust, right, in a sustained financial relationship. So I think a lot of benefit in a lot of different directions um, from, from advancing this cause. And where did this idea come from? I mean, nowadays we can go online and, and take a course or we can read a book or there's radio shows. You know, we've got your Dave Ramsey's and your Susie Ormans. But this is a relatively new concept. Yeah, I think you could I think you could argue it's pretty new and I think you could argue it's about 50 years old or 60 years old. I my way of looking at it says it, it kind of started with the financial literacy movements that happened, you know, started about 50 years ago, but those were very much bent towards basic understanding, right, of the, the sort of nuts and bolts of, of money. And then they were oriented towards retirement savings and a lot of those things, which which unfortunately for many um, individuals saving for retirement feels like a pipe dream, right? Because as I spoke to, if you're in that first group where you're, you know, you're trying to just not make the hole deeper effectively with debt and those types of challenges, or you're living paycheck to paycheck, saving for retirement isn't the, it's a problem you kind of wish you had, unfortunately, right? That, that you were starting to do that and perhaps weren't saving enough. So I think over the course of the last probably about decade, I think that's really where the recognition that, you know, helping with those more transparently, more challenging problems, right? in, in those, in those groups, Right, where if you're bringing in you know two thousand dollars a month and you're spending twenty five hundred, that math doesn't get better, right? Right, you right. Know, it's negative five hundred every month plus the interest, and then you have to think about payday loans, which have incredibly high rates. You know, you're getting into this you know da- downward spiral. So I think the historical stuff missed the mark for the largest group, but also the ones that have the biggest challenges in this space. And I think that's where there's been a more recent recognition that. Um, there's a real problem there, right? That that solving that problem, to your point, isn't just benefiting the individual, but individuals benefiting will benefit 
communities, benefit the country. And I think, you know, a lot more focus on that. Um, and the other thing I think that's changed is historically, this has all been about education, right? It's just been about, about teaching, 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 teaching. And for the good, right? You know, we're at a point now where technology doesn't necessarily require customers to have to understand everything, right? Technology can help understand for them and make suggestions and be proactive and do things on their behalf, right? To help them achieve their goals. So I think that's really an exciting enabler because educating someone, but not helping them take the action really isn't getting to value. Well, you bring up a good point about the education is um, as I was preparing for this episode, you know, I was just thinking about my own upbringing around money. And most of our education is just watching how our parents deal with money. And maybe they sit down with us and maybe they don't. But we, you know, I, I would take in the stress and anxiety and lack of communication around money just in my own family. So there's that part of it, just the fear around it. And then you talk about, you know, when you get into a hole, there's denial, there's shame, you know, there's I'm not smart enough to understand this. So do you think maybe some of the movement around education was to fill a need, to fill a void? I think you're right. And I think, you know, education plays a really imp important role in understanding. It's just how do you also give tools that make the action easy, right? How do you give um, things to consumers so that they can really do something about it and, and not just be educated on the challenges of their situation and then throw their hands in the air, right? And also, I think that bent of education, right, uh, going back to that education about finances can't just be about retirement and can't just be about investing. That doesn't help, you know, consumers get from from today to tomorrow, from this week to next week, right? That's it's a part of it, right? But it can't be the, the core focus of the education. Right, you need small steps. I mean, that's kind of going for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow right away when some people just need to learn how to well, I don't want to say write a check, but they need to know how to set up their digital wallet. They need to know how to budget. They need to know what's coming in and what's going out. Have you noticed that COVID has magnified the need for financial wellness or education around financial wellness? Yeah, and I think it's in the it's in probably the most obvious way, right? We just we have a, a significant portion of those challenged groups that I talked about, right? They they definitely skewed towards the groups that you know have debt challenges or or living paycheck to paycheck. Those were the ones that disproportionately have been impacted by you know COVID and and the the loss of jobs, right? You know, short term or long term from that. So I, I don't know that it necessarily changed the need for financial wellness, you know, in and of itself, but it magnified the number of customers that are, you know, in those groups, right? Customers sliding down into them or we uh, deepen the challenge that they may have already had, you know, in, in the place that they were. So I think it, it definitely has put more of a, a spotlight on it just because it's become more relevant to more people. Right. And you're talking about uh, small business owners, people of color, people that were living below the poverty line are the ones that were uh, most greatly affected. And, you know, service workers, right? You know, I mean, those, you know, typically they're they're living, you know, a paycheck to paycheck type of, a you know, a lifestyle economically. And those jobs almost went away, right, entirely at point in time. And, and stimulus checks really didn't replace that. You're right. Yes, yeah, smaller business owners, very successful ones of them, obviously, you know, have different types of problems. But many of them do live relatively, you know, this month to next month. And they weren't necessary and hadn't been able to be prepared for, you know, a massive event like this, like, like many of us were across many dimensions. So, yeah, you kind of had a, a sliding effect of, of individuals into those more challenged segments where, where, where I think that the financial wellness, the financial health problem has the biggest negative impact, right? Going back to the anxiety and those types of challenges. 
Right. And you're we're kind of segueing into talking about what are some characteristics of being financially unwell. And I think COVID exposed one of the biggest ones is people not having a savings, like the number of people that are unable to pay an unexpected $500 car repair or something like that. And that's not that's not putting any judgment on it. It's very common, you know, but I've I've always heard the rule of thumb was three to have, you know, have three to six months of savings. Sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, sounds nice. But in reality, you know, if you're Pretty living hard. paycheck to paycheck and, and you're a service worker. Right. The math on that never happens. No. Right. That that just there's no way to ever, you know, have that occur. And then and that's and to me, that's a great example there, right? That's been traditionally a financial education type of a guideline, right? To make those types of suggestions. I recall, you know, reading them. But if you don't give the consumer practical ways to advance towards that, right? Help them make it so that maybe they are living a little less paycheck to paycheck, even if the savings is small that they're able to have, and then advance in advance. If, if you don't give them tools to do those small steps, that education, actually, that education itself creates more stress. Yes. <laughs> because now <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah. I, I know what I need to be doing, but there's no, no way to do it. Right? And I'm missing the bar and I'm right. falling behind. Yeah, I can totally see that, that some of those... Um, Trendy books can leave people feeling judged and sometimes even more hopeless than what it's actually trying to do. Um, so what are some other characteristics of someone who is financially unwell? And then we'll go into the upswing. To me, the biggest one of it is the impact on physical and mental health. Really, the, the stress and anxiety that, that comes from that is the now it's a result characteristic, right? But but is, is the biggest and most meaningful characteristic. If you think of the impact that that has on relationships, that it has on communities as a result, it's it's massive. The impact that that has on, you know, uh, the way they the way you look at other groups in your society, right? The way you interact with them, it really creates a, a trench. So, so that's more, you know, I think of an outcome characteristic. I think then if you think of more of an in-process characteristic, the, the one to me that that's scariest is when you start to get this snowball debt effect. That's the biggest challenge is when your, you know, your ins are less than your outs, right? In, ter in terms of money, and then you have to start to rely on, on debt as a way to bridge, right? Or you know, you're missing bills, and and that creates other types of problems there. That to me is the biggest risk challenge that we have both as individuals, but as as societies, because. There aren't easy ways to dig out of that hole. Bankruptcy isn't a great way to solve to solve problems, right? Nobody wants to go through that. And I think that's where if we want to think about what we can do as a society together is focusing first and foremost, particularly on that group and helping them honestly get to paycheck by paycheck, right? You know, that that is a huge step forward to not be negative each month and not have to be accumulating more debt and then paying interest on that debt, which is just more ex outs, right, uh, in, in your money. So I think that to me is the most glaring characteristic that I, you know, really looking to watch for and looking to see if we can turn that around, right? And, and, and you know, help people slide up that ladder. So let's go back to your talking about, um, finances or being financially unwell affecting your health. Um, can you talk about some specific symptoms and cause effects? A lot of studies have been done on this from an employer focus and looking at employees. And, they, and they've been done primarily, actually, I didn't allude to this, but a lot of the term financial wellness and financial health really is triggered by some employee programs that have got started to get some tractions where employers are helping their employees advance their health, still with education. But they've done some studies there and compared to employers that have programs and employees that don't. And, you know, they find that employees with high financial stress, they're twice as likely to report poor health overall. 
and four times as likely to complain of things like headaches, depression, right? Other logical kind of ne- next step types of ailments that come from that. So, you know, if you just think of the, the math of that, right, <laughs> twice as likely to report poor health overall. And then the downstream implications of that, again, that's on top of the financial challenge that, that they already have, right? That's despair at that point and can lead right into that. So I, th- I think that's really, you know, a great way to think about the opportunity to both help help people personally by doing it, but then again, help the people that employ them. And as a result, help the community as, as we can start to solve these problems and advance in the other direction. Right. Because if we look at it from, you know, even a business standpoint as you know, maybe someone who owns the business, it actually increases morale and increases productivity when someone, you know, is one healthy and then feeling financially secure. Yeah. There's a big difference on the days I come to work with a headache and without a headache. Right? Yeah. I mean, a very big difference in the productivity that I have in the way I interact with my colleagues. Right. And then in the way I interact with my children and my wife afterwards at the end of that day. So, you know, it really it, I think it's a big part of overall health if you, as you start to think about the, the the implications of the financial challenges. Right. And the you, you were talking about headaches, depression, anxiety. There's, you know, high blood pressure. There's heart arrhythmia and even suicide. Uh, you know, it's one of the financial despair is one of the leading causes to suicide. And then I was also, I don't know, fascinated is the right word, but the correlation around health is the number of people that have missed doctor's appointments because of the concern about cost for chronic ongoing conditions or when something pops up that they could, you know, probably get taken care of earlier on. Is Are you seeing this as part of a step to financial wellness? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I think ab- absolutely. It's health. It's wellness. <laughs> you know, and, and and again, I think those relationships between all of them, we've historically, we've separated those and treated those as very, 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 very separate. Right. <laughs> you know, you go to your doctor. Right. And there's people to help you over there with that stuff. Right. But then we treat the finance as another thing over here. Well, if you can't afford to go to the doctor because you don't have insurance. Right. Could be could be one reason or because the deductible. Right. Or the cost of going is too much for you. Well, now now you've because of your financial challenges, perhaps needing to go to the doctor to perhaps deal with some of the symptoms of those, you can't afford to do that, right? So there's a there's a big snowball effect uh, occurring here at an individual level. And then obviously then that spans out into the people they interact with, the communities they're in, the companies they work for as well. So how is financial wellness being approached now? I mean, how is it changing? Yes. So what I see happening that I think is the most exciting stuff is more tools and more powerful tools getting into consumers' hands. And when I say this, <laughs> I am not talking about Robinhood, not talking about investing like that, right? I'm not talking about allowing uh, consumers to invest on margin, right? Those are actually creating more, more stressful, negative, more <laughs> negative challenges. You hear things that, I mean, like, you know, f- 5% of, of day investors like that end up making money over the course of three years. Like, it, that's a game. I think to me, what's what's exciting to see, and I'll give credit where credit's due, you know, starting with with companies like Mint, right, where, you know, they, they had personal financial management capabilities that, you know, they offered for obviously their own commercial purposes. But, you know, that's a place for that you can, you know, hook your bank account into it. 
that will look at what's going on, will help you understand trends, help you understand where you're spending your money. And, and that's been something that's been around for quite a while. It's been relatively well adopted. What I see happening now that's really exciting is taking that from knowing where my money is, right, categorizing it, understanding what's going on, to then suggesting action and actually helping that action. And to me, like a re really, really simple one, duplicate subscriptions, Right. You know, we live in a world of duplicate subscriptions. Right? I mean, how many subscriptions do you need to have to see the TV you want to have? Right. Or, but simple things like that. Right. Helping a customers understand, hey, you know, you have a Pandora subscription and Apple subscription. Do you want both of them? Do you need both of them? And suggesting those types of things, you know, you start to pick away at some of those. Right. Suggesting, you know, different ways to save money on a particular purchase or on monthly expenses, really tipping to looking at things that way where there's actually an action. It isn't just I, that I understand that I'm spending too much on grocery. It's I know I'm spending too much on grocery, but here are some things I can do. Advice, right. Discounts, couponing, whatever it might be to help actually improve that situation. That's what I see happening a lot now. And that's what I'm referring to, you know, from a technology space where I think the technology is caught up with the opportunity and we can really get to where it becomes easier for customers to advance. They, they don't just know they're in a bad space through literacy or through data. Now, now they can get actual ways to improve things. Right. It sounds like a tangible action plan with accountability. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in some cases, things that, that there's trends now towards, uh, you know, auto savings, right? Where you can, you know, you can set a goal, right? You can, you can say, I want to try to save this amount. And, you know, your bank or your whatever tool you're using can automatically start to move money and, and move it into that, right? You can do it through round up, right? Round everything up to the next dollar and take that money and put it into a savings account. Little steps like that, that on a one by one by one basis for the consumer don't really have much of an implication on them, right? You know, that doesn't change much in terms of what they're doing day to day. But then over time, they can start to accumulate a little bit towards that, even if that roundup is just going to pay off debt, right? So slowly over time, you're starting to make some progress. And again, not requiring the customer to be tracking that and, you know, keeping track of the little details and then move it over. That, that's, again, where I think banks can really help because banks are the hub for that, right? That activity is already happening with the bank on the accounts, and it's a natural place to, to get that synergy. Oh, well, I didn't even think about that. The bank's doing it for me because, you know, I always have a, a savings account that I would push a little bit over here if I'm planning a vacation or something, but to have it like set up so that it's just done automatically. Well, yeah. And the bank also knows when it might not be a good month to move that money <laughs> from one account to the other, right? Oh, this isn't going to be the month to do it. Don't do not do that, right? Or, or move the money back. So that's where we're seeing a lot of emerging trends. And what we're trying to offer our customers is ways to allow their customers to do that in a more, you know, an automatic fashion, ultimately, right? Where you can set a goal and the activity can be taken on your behalf. So you don't have to do that yourself because it's easy to forget to move that money. Or it's what I would say is it's much easier to set the goal and say you're going to move $200 a month into a savings account than it is to move the $200 into a savings account every month and to not spend the $200 before you move it, right? So I think that, that that's, I think, where you can get it to more where you can set a goal and things can happen versus, you know, needing to take every step yourself. This is sounding very much like my eating plan and a diet that I'm trying to do. <laughs> that's a little that's a little harder to automate. Yeah. <laughs> can you get a bank to do that for me, Brian, please? I don't know. That's a, I'll, I'll write down the idea. But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about wellness, right? So just to talk about that, that part of it, of, of getting banks to help you with it, is that done through an app? Is that through talking to a person? Is that a chatbot? Is that or all of the above? I think the most the most logical place to do that is through the existing, you know, 
bank app that you have, right? You know, you have a relationship with a bank, you have an app on your phone, right? Where you're already going, you're seeing your balance there, you're looking at transactions, you're, you're moving money around, you're paying your bills, right? That's, those trends are adopted. Everybody's doing that. And, that, and that's where effectively, when you ask me where my money is, right? My head goes, oh, it's in that app on my phone almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so to me, just given that that's already the, the natural launching off point for customers to understand or individuals to understand where their money is, right? It's so logical to me that then on top of that, you can offer services to help then, you know, offer those opportunities, offer insights, offer suggestions, offer, you know, tools, right, to be able to advance that. And then, and then something like a chatbot can play into that, right? But but a chatbot is really just a, an interaction mechanism to get at it, ultimately, right? It, it's a way to set it up. It's a way to change it over time. But I really think the bank and the bank's own mobile applications and their their websites, I mean, that's, that's to me the most logical place because that's already where the consumer is going to understand the situation that they have, you know, with their day-to-day finance expenses. Now, there are also providers, and, and I mentioned Mint, right? They, you could probably argue they were first into this market independently, but they're, you know, individual digital solutions that you can hook your bank accounts into that will provide some of those services as well. So if anything, um, consumers today, and this, and this may be where the education piece gets complicated once again, may have too many choices, but also too many choices they don't know about. But again, that's where I think banks have such a huge opportunity because they already have the relationship with the customer and it's already around the same topic, right? Their relationship is around money, right? It is around what you have in your checking and savings, what you're, you know, having on your credit card. So it's just, to me, it's a natural way to add value for customers. And then as a result, add value for banks. Right. And you mentioned that these tools are available and is how to get people to use them. I think I read a statistic that only half of people in certain businesses where they have access to a personal financial advisor or, uh, you know, a health savings account are unaware that it even exists. Yeah. I mean, and that's where the lowering the the friction, right, to get to that is is really, really critical. I mean, I think you can, you know, you, I don't know if the exact same tact can be taken, and I don't have the exact statistic in front of me, but the trends with just auto enrollment into 401k for employees, right? And you hear the numbers around how, how much dramatically more the participation is when you just auto enroll them at a very low amount. They can unenroll, right? But but the reverse of requiring the customer to take that action each time is, is just going to decrease the numbers, just obviously, right? How much we'll see. Same thing with these types of things. Traditional programs in this space um, required you to enroll, required you to set things up, right? And again, that's also the type of experience you'd get with sort of an independent digital tool to do this. Again, at a bank, you don't have to do that. You already have the data right there. You can look at it and you can start to suggest insights. And there are plenty of technology solutions that that can do that. So I, I think it's all about reducing friction, right? It's about just making it so that it almost happens. You know, to me, to me, the end spirit of this is where consumers could set goals and the bank could, could make them be achieved, right? And, and could help them adapt to it. And, and also help them to understand which goals are realistic now, which aren't, right? There's not a lot of sense in setting a goal to retire at 40 if your income and your expenses are the same. That isn't going to help you, right? You need to maybe think about a different goal in terms of timing, et cetera, to go achieve that. And how is this accessibility to these financial tools, these apps, um, these online, you know, mobile banking, instant payments, has that enhanced consumer confidence in managing their finances? I think, you know, the if you start kind of where some of those things, you know, be, began, right, you know, mobile banking, pretty uh 
ubiquitous at this point, right? But if you think about where that where that began, and even online banking, if you want to go back to that, I think the the immediacy now of being able to understand, you know, where where your finances are at current, be they, you know, your your deposit accounts all the way up to your investment accounts, I think that certainly created a big incremental step of empowerment, right? I can always see where I am. And and that's a really, really huge first step. I think, though, as well, technology has made it easier for consumers to go the other way. You're making a purchase, right? <laughs> let's, let's just think about that, right? The ease and, and all the things retailers do to encourage it to be even easier to make a larger purchase, right, have big implications. Buy now, pay later, pay in installments. Yeah. <laughs> or even even free returns, right? Right. Free returns. Let's be, let's be clear. Free returns is not for the benefit of consumers. <laughs> free returns is to get you to buy more and not return it. <laughs> That's what free returns are for. So, and, and, you know, you think about how easy it is to go spend all a lot of money on something. The same friction we talked about wanting to remove, right, with respect to getting towards financial wellness, that's the same thing retailers are trying to do with respect to, to helping um, consumers purchase it. And and consumers value that, obviously, right? That That is, that's certainly something I value. But it's how do you then layer that together with wellness? And, and you're right, things like buy now, pay later, that's a double-edged you know, thing there, right? For, for the right types of purchases and managed appropriately, that is a great tool. But if you're starting to tack, uh, stack a bunch of those on top of one another, that's not that much different than a credit card at that, at that point, right? That is that deepening hole. So I, I think I think that there, there's pros and cons, but certainly I think the one thing um, that certainly has advanced broadly is empowerment, right? I think consumers really do have you know more power to manage these. It's what they do with the tools and how the tools really help them make it easier to achieve their goals. That That's the key focus. Then in order for this to happen, we need financial institutions building a presence in the community. I think that definitely can help and help both sides of it, right? I think, you know, it, that can help consumers, right, through through education, right, through helping, you know, providing tools, uh, if, if appropriate, even to consumers that might not be part of their institution. I think that can obviously help individuals, um, can help the community, right? Because obviously a more financially well community is going to be a, a more well community in general, without, without question. You know, if you have more financially well individuals, the businesses benefit, and there's a really great virtuous cycle there. And then I also think, given the pain um, consumers are feeling. I think that's a great opportunity for banks and their brands and awareness and even engaging with new customers. I think if you can, sh- if you as a bank can go show that you care about this and that you're trying to help the community, not, not just your individual customers, but the community that you're serving as a whole, that's a great way to really, you know, stake your claim and, and own that space in your community, but particularly for banks that are oriented around smaller communities. I think that's a huge opportunity for them to separate themselves from the larger banks that they're competing with, right? And really to say, no, we're, we're about this community. And here's, we're not just saying that, right? Here's a tangible way that we're helping the community get better. And do you think banks are doing that? Are they doing their job? The banks I talk to talk about wanting to do that. That's the first step, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. The desire to do it, the recognition of the problem, the recognition of the opportunity. It, it has to. It has to start there. I haven't seen a lot of great examples yet of it really getting arriving at that point, but I think it will start to. I think obviously there's you know a, a great awareness with not just banks, right, but but lot, all businesses now that you know showing that you're engaging your community, that that you care about social good, is you know a, a really uh, 
at least a very effective strategy if you want to take it in the in the most business oriented terms, right? But if you want to take it, you know, how would I say, you know, just for the sake of the good term, right? A, a good thing to do. It helps the bank. It helps who you serve. And particularly, again, for banks, if they can make their community more healthy, their bank will be more healthy, which will make their community more healthy, right? It is a clear cycle that that can trigger. So what are some steps that banks wanting to get on this this train of uh, financial wellness for their consumers? What are some steps they need to take? So I, I think um, the thing I would be starting with as a bank is thinking about how I can make a consistent part of my message to my community about promoting. And I'm going to go back to something I said wasn't that effective, but I think it's the first starting point, which is literacy, right? Simple things that consumers can do to help advance towards their cause. And, you know, just simple tips, education, making that a consistent part of who you are in the market. Not, not just talking about your, your great CD rate, right? Or your new auto loan offer or, or your two months free on your on your loan if you come over to us types of stuff. That very, you know, tangible, very money-oriented components that are, that are still important parts of strategies. But when you do that, weave in suggestions, weave in tips, weave in education into that to show that you care, to try to start to add some of that value. And then as the technology evolves, I think banks could start to think about how they might actually offer some of these proactive services, even to people who aren't their own customers. You know, it, I'm going to go back and compare it against Mint. I mean, Mint isn't a bank, right? <laughs> but they have lots of consumers that use their service to manage their finances. And Mint obviously has a way they're using that to generate income as a result. Same thing for banks. If banks can offer these services to non-customers, those people are much more likely to become a bank customer over time. Imagine this scenario. You know, if um, Bank X, right, if they were offering services to help you get tips about your financial um, wellness, if they had a way that you could link your bank account to them so that they could provide those tips specific to your situation, make suggestions like, like the duplicate subscription one that I mentioned earlier, even if they, even if you don't, you're not banking with them, they start to become the place you go to understand your money, right? They're the app that's on the first page because you go there and they're giving you tips about what to do with your money. Well, of course, then it's a natural next step, right, that you might you'll start to have an actual financial relationship with that bank. You'll have maybe then that auto loan offer that you get, right, is much more compelling because you you now have trust there. You got value, right? You saw what that bank was about, that they care about you and that they're trying to help your financial health. So that trend I mentioned there in the latter piece hasn't actually been something that's quite happened yet. And, and the technology isn't always there. And, and honestly, the consumer trust isn't always there to give, you know, a, a bank I'm not banking with my bank account information. But as, you know, some of the, the security and access things that are evolving mature, I think that'll become a, a real thing. And, and banks will start to think of themselves not just as places that, that hold money and that generate income from that, but places that deliver financial services, right? In the purest term, right? A financial service that might not at the start involve holding money, but could involve, you know, more pure advice. And that pure advice could be given away at a certain point. So I, I, th I think that's something that you will start to see, you know, in, in future years evolving is, is um, banks starting to actually do that, offering services to non-deposit holders as a way to engage and then attract. Wow, I would get on board that train, yeah. <laughs> so as we wrap up our program, for our listeners out there who are looking to improve their financial wellness, what are some tips for becoming financially fit? Like, Brian, can you give us a treatment plan? I know it's not a one-size-fits-all prescription, but what are some things that you would suggest? Well, to me, the best parallel is to think about it like physical health. So first, you need to understand where you are. 
if, if you're afraid to look at your credit card. Right? I'm not getting on you know, the scale. You, I, just, I just can't. <laughs> right, right. But that's where it starts. It starts with a checkup, right? And the good is you don't, you don't need an expert to do that. It's write the stuff down on a piece of paper and look at it. Right. And, and maybe, maybe don't do anything at first, right? <laughs> write it down this month. And then next month, write it down again, same date, same date, same time, right? And compare, okay, how am I doing? What did I do month over month? Are things getting better? Are things getting worse? And ask yourself why, right? Ask yourself what's, what's happening there. You know, just a bit of a checkup, right? In, in that respect. But then the other side that I'd really think about, maybe even more so, is ask yourself how you feel about it. Do an assessment of that anxiety. Is this making me anxious? And that won't take very long, I suspect. <laughs> At least if my own if my own personal experience is indicative of others, that, that you can answer that. That anxiety question. meter just went boom. <laughs> right. But I think there, if you can have more of a, you know, the objective piece of it, which is the numbers, the dollars and cents side of it, but also that health side of it, I think that's a great starting point. And just, you know, something as simple as if you had a little sheet of paper and you wrote down, you know, how much do I have? How much do I owe each month? And you just did a, you know, a, a smiley face, an indifferent face and a frown next to it to say how you're feeling about it. The old phrasing of you can't manage what you don't measure, right? It, it rings true in so many places. Then from there, think about what goals do I want to set? What do I want to have change? And maybe start to write out some of those future months. Like, what do you want those future months to start to be? And how do I advance towards that? And this is difficult, right? It comes down to spending and income. And first and foremost, getting that to where those are balancing out, because there's a very different strategy when you're when your spending's more than your income than when they start to get equal or when that income starts to get a little bit more. And honestly, the hard thing is managing spending, managing, understanding where your money's going in terms of categories, understanding where you can you know improve those situations. And there are many, many tools out there that will allow you to categorize your transaction and start to track grocery versus car versus household. And just you need to understand where the money's going to understand how to fix it. But ultimately, then the last word is discipline. And that's the hardest thing as humans. Um, but I think the discipline becomes easier if you actually have some of those goals and you actually have that understanding of the specifics. Brian Fye is Senior Director, Digital Banking at FIS. That's it for today's show. Thanks for joining us for the Season 5 finale of Financial Futures, a production of Lower Street Media in collaboration with FIS. This season was produced and edited by Isabel Pollard and Lane Gerbig. Alex Bennett is our audio editor and sound designer, and I'm your host, Erin Dangler. Thanks for listening. <laughs>